Welcome to the Proclaim Columbus podcast. We are on a mission to equip people throughout the diocese to be missionary disciples. I'm Michelle Fanley, and today I am in the studio with a fresh voice as we're doing a special crossover episode with Liz Christie of the Proclaim Columbus podcast, a movement to help others respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit and to live out a radical missionary identity. Liz is the Associate Director of Missionary Disciple Formation for the Diocese of Columbus, and since we are discussing the very exciting upcoming year of the parish during the Eucharistic Revival, she's here joining us today. Well, hello, Liz. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me having me. It's so great to have you on. And if you didn't listen to our last podcast, be sure after this to check out our previous podcast with Liz and all about her work and our local emphasis of the National Eucharistic Revival. But today, today we are having a wonderful guest with us. Today is Sister Alicia Torres. The mem- she is a member of the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago, a religious community that carries out the mission of the church through the service to the poor, evangelization, and teaching. Sister studied theology at Loyola University Chicago and earned a Master of Divinity degree at Mundelein Seminary and received her Master of Arts in Teaching from Dominican University in River Forest. She works at the mission of Our Lady of the Angels on Chicago's West Side, serves as vocation director for her religious community, and is a religion teacher in inner city Catholic school. Sister Alicia competed in and won the Food Network's Chopped in 2015 and has contributed articles in several online and print and media outlets, including First Things, Catholic News Service, and America Magazine. Since July of 2021, she served on the executive team for the USCCB's National Eucharistic Revival and is a managing editor of Heart of the Revival, a weekly e-newsletter of the National Eucharistic Revival. Well, welcome, Sister Thank you for having me. What a beautiful biography there of you. Uh, what a, I'm actually originally from Chicago, so I love hearing all those, oh, all those names. My kids still make fun of me, like, you talk funny, Mom. <laughs> but I don't think I have a no, Chicago accent. <laughs> I've lived in Ohio for a long time, so it's definitely very muted. <laughs> well, Sister Alicia, can you please tell our listeners a little bit who don't know you yet, um, please share a little bit about yourself and, and your faith journey. Sure. Well, like you said, my name is Sister Alicia, and I grew up in a military family. Um, so my parents were both in the U.S. Navy when I was born. I was born on a little itty-bitty island off of Portugal, about 800 miles, called Terra one of the Azores, which is an archipelago for any of our students that might be studying, um, how do you say, geography right now. I'm not very good at geography, but I enjoy it. And anyway, we ended up stateside when I was three, lived all over. Um, and from a young age, I was very drawn to the Eucharist. I was actually very upset because my mom, quote-unquote, made me wait a year to receive First Holy Communion so that my sister and I could receive the Eucharist together so it would be easier on our relatives who would be traveling to, to be there that day for our first Eucharist. Um, so in that interim period, I was consoled by the story of Blessed Immobile Lambertini, who is the little saint from Italy that was the impetus for lowering the age of reception for a first Eucharist to the age of reason for children. Um, and I was especially inspired that when she received the communion, finally her heart exploded, which I think for most kids they'd be terrified. But I was like, oh my gosh, she loved Jesus so much that her heart exploded. Anyways, kind of crazy fact about me. Um, but ever since then, I, I've tried to stay close to Jesus. I've been really blessed 
by the people in my life that have accompanied me on my faith journey when I was in college. I heard the call and fought it for a little bit um, to become a sister, but I realized through the discernment process and that kind of battle with the Lord and my own heart that this was how He had created my heart to love. So I've been a sister for 13 years, and for about two years and a little over that, maybe a few months, I've been serving the Eucharistic Revival, which I never imagined I would be involved in anything so beautiful and such a tremendous work of the Lord. And now I'm talking to you. Thank you, sister. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your story. And um, we have to ask you, you know, you said you were on Chopped. So what was that like? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was a really positive experience for me. Um, I would say one huge takeaway that I had was, you know, people that work um, on that television show, I mean, literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people just to film our one episode with the competition that I participated in, they just had such a high standard of excellence in everything that they did. And as I left the set late that evening to go to Mass, thanks be to God, I had some Jesuits that were waiting to celebrate Mass for me whenever I finished. Um, I just thought to myself, you know, if Christians took the gospel and their missionary discipleship as seriously as these people do who work on this TV show, the world would look so different. Um, So I was just so grateful for their excellence, which we know that's one way that we understand virtue in the Christian life. It's striving for excellence as a follower of Jesus, and it's what He does in us that makes that possible. Sister, that's so beautiful. And I'm especially touched by your desire for the Eucharist at such a young age. I mean, that the Lord chose to meet you in that way in such a young age and your desire was so strong and I can't help but think you know part of that is where you are today with this Eucharistic revival so we want to know a little more about that so why the Eucharistic revival why now like why do you think it's time for that now yeah well I mean because God wants it yes amen (laughs) you know our bishops I mean, so, so well. Back in 2019, we had that Pew Research study, which probably many people have heard of by now, indicating that an overwhelming minority of Catholics, you know, believed in the real presence of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. And so the bishops took that seriously. They took it to heart. They prayed about it. And the fruit of that prayer and that discernment was this Eucharistic revival. So first, you know, through the prayerful reflection discernment of Bishop Barron, and then when Bishop Cousins came on, as the chairman for the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, he took that to heart and he carried this Eucharistic revival forward. So, so incredibly grateful to Bishop Cousins and all the bishops around the country um, who have been so supportive and really leading this revival um, to where we are today, where we find ourselves coming to the end of our first official year of revival, focused on you know the diocesan level, the leadership in our church, both lay and ordained, Um, and getting ready to launch the Parish Year of Revival, where the hope and the desire is to bring this um, movement of the Holy Spirit into the pews, into your Catholics in the parishes, and invite them into this incredible mission um, and opportunity. So tell us a little bit about your role with the Revival. I saw you helped prepare the Eucharistic preachers, and we're so excited that our Women's Conference will be having two of them this year at our Catholic Women's Conference in February. We'll have Father Tim Anastas and Father John Byrne speaking. So share a little bit more about this and some of the other work you're doing, because I feel like every day I go on your website, there the website, there's more and more amazing information. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so pleased uh, to share that the website does keep growing. And actually, everybody should look out for a very special announcement on Wednesday. But I won't say anything else, just a little teaser there. Um, Wednesday, the 17th of May, if this is getting listened to later, we'll have a big announcement around the revival. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I started out, I was invited to join the executive team for the Eucharistic Revival a couple of years ago. And the first task that the group I was part of was mission to accomplish was um, to make the Eucharistic teachers happen. And so it started from an idea um, inspired um, that Bishop Cousins had that we needed a team of Eucharistic preachers to over 50 religious and diocesan priests from around the country, um, from different ages and ethnicities and experiences who came to Chicago here to the Mission of Our Lady of the Angels where my religious community serves. And Bishop Cousins, Bishop Rhodes, Bishop Lombardo, we had many people come in to offer a beautiful retreat for these men the week before Holy Week last year in 2022 um, with much time for Mass, for Eucharistic adoration, for reflection, um, to talk together as brothers, as, as brothers in the priesthood, and then be sent out on mission uh, to, in a sense, um, spark the fire of revival around the country. Not to say that we don't have fantastic preachers around the country, but rather to offer these priests as a gift through the ministry of preaching to help proclaim in a charismatic and a gospel-centered way, proclaiming the gospel. What has Jesus done for us through the context of the Holy Eucharist? Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm, and how do, how do you feel like it's being received at the parish level and where these speakers are going out? Um, what's yeah, kind of know, the sense of that? Yeah, primarily focused on diocesan level events. They've spoken at conferences, Eucharistic congresses, clergy retreats, um, days of formation for lay leaders and catechists. And from what I hear, they've been incredibly well received, which is a total joy for me. Uh, to hear that they're, they're really bearing fruit in the Lord. And, you know, for some of our preachers, it's been a real transformation in their own priesthood. I'm thinking of one priest in particular whose bishop was just so touched that he was nominated that he actually changed his assignment so that he'd be more available. And he's wow. been all over the place um, preaching these missions. And, you know, he's come back to me from the ground and says, Sister, the revival is happening. It's People are being set on fire. And it's just so encouraging for me to hear um, how the Holy Spirit is working through uh, through the preachers and through so many people around the country. It really sounds like the Lord is like just breaking things open here in just like a new um, and exciting way. Like like these preachers, you know, like you said, maybe weren't even known to their bishops, and now they're going out even on more mission and just growing into that. That's just that's just really amazing. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, <laughs> and then as we kind of go through this parish year, then of course we've got the big event next July. So um, talk to us a little bit about that, the National Eucharistic Congress. For sure. So as uh, Tim Lomkowski, our executive director for the Congress, likes to say, you know, the movement needs a moment. And that is what the National Eucharistic Congress in July of 2024 is in Indianapolis. It's this this moment, this generational um, experience that we're inviting the whole church to participate in. And when you think Eucharistic Congress, Indianapolis 2024, you know, don't think conference, don't think, you know, something stale and stuffy. Imagine a festival experience, like a World Youth Day, um, something that's just very much about encounter and mission 
inviting Catholics from across the country, young and old, to come together to have a new, a renewed, a first, a deepened, wherever people are at in their walk of faith, encounter with the living Jesus Christ and the Holy Eucharist, and then being sent out on mission with Jesus and with one another for the life of the world, um, to bring the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is truly alive with us in the Holy Eucharist, particularly to the margins, to those who maybe walked away, to those who are far from the Lord, um, and helping us to realize, you know, we talk about the Eucharist, um, Vatican II, the Catechism, refers to the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life. When we say that, we mean the Mass. You know, the Eucharist and the Mass can, are inseparable. When we go to Mass, we experience, in a real way, the Paschal Mystery, what Jesus has done for us, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, it becomes real and present to us. And then through the profound love of Jesus and his complete gift of self, he has chosen in sublime humility to be present to us under the disguise of bread and wine, that that bread and wine truly become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And that we can receive him in Holy Communion and be sent out with him. You know, the priest says, go with the masses, and it doesn't mean like, hey, it's over, folks. He means like, okay, now you're going to go out, and then you're going to be drawn back in the celebration of the Eucharist. So as Christians, as Catholic followers of Jesus Christ, everything should flow from and lead back to the Mass, including Eucharistic adoration, this kind of sustained um, accompaniment and presence to Jesus as He's present to us in the Blessed Sacrament, that silent time, uh, to, to cultivate it and let Him uh, lead us in deepening relationship with Him. So, I mean, there's so much there. So the Congress is all about encounter and mission. I am so like thrilled by all the work Tim and his team have been doing. They're working tirelessly day and night um, to prepare this event for us to be able to receive and be sent out. And this is for families, right? I saw there's tickets that you can purchase a whole family pass. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. There'll be tracks for families, for young people, for adults. Um, yes, there's going to be all sorts of options. And, you know, over the next couple of months, the Congress team will be, um, you know, slowly sharing more details about what to expect and what the tracks will look like, who the keynote speakers are, um, what the celebration of the Eucharist will be like, Eucharistic procession for sure. Like all sorts of amazing things will happen um, over those days in Indianapolis to help our hearts be set on fire with the love of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. Amazing. And and so how would you say, how can we best prepare for next July? Like what should we should do between now and then? Well, first of all, I think the very, very best way to prepare to participate in the Congress and know like whether or not you're going to be there in person, because the National Eucharistic Congress is not just for the people who can make it in person, which is only, quote unquote, between 80 and 100,000 of us, right? But it's for the whole church. So what happens in Minneapolis next summer is meant to set a fire across our country of revival, and there'll be regional events, and we'll be encouraging and providing resources for parishes and dioceses to be doing things for the people who couldn't make it to Indy. So it's for all of us. But the bottom line is, sit down before the Lord and ask Him. Next time you go to Mass, next time you go to Eucharistic Adoration, Jesus, what is the next step I need to take to prepare not only for the Eucharistic Congress, but to participate more deeply in this Eucharistic revival? What in my heart do you want to touch? Where do I need healing? Where is sin still 
having a stronghold in my life that I need to allow you to help me become more free, to break those chains of sin um, that prevent me from living the fullness of life that you have for me. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it to the full. And it's sin that divides us, right? It's sin that separates us from one another and from the Word. You know, so where is it in my life that I need Jesus' help? Um, not to condemn myself, not to condemn me, but rather to set me free so that I can know deeply my identity as a beloved child of the Father and be part of the mission of Jesus every day in big and little ways. I love, Sister, you recently wrote a blog about how you teach um, second graders and prepare them for the Holy First Holy Communion. And I actually mm. had a little boy in my office. He was a third grader, and he um, was kind of playing catch up, and he made his communion at school mass last week. And then mm. he came in, and then we asked him, you know, how was the day? And he said, and I get to receive the blood and body of Jesus every day for the rest of my life now. And it was so Aww, sweet. And I wonderful. think if we could only right, feel that way that we did on our first Holy Communion and have that childlike trust and love and excitement for the Holy Eucharist. And I think that's what this Congress is meant to ignite, right? To, to have that experience of like when you first falling in love with Jesus. Right. Or you can think of that line from the book of Revelation, you know, remember, come back to your first love. And that's who Jesus is for us. You know, whether we have experienced Experience that in a personal way. Jesus is the center of our lives, um, and He draws us to Himself, um, and not for selfish purposes, but because love is real. Like John in John's letter, he says, "God is love." <laughs> like this is a real profound reality. We were created in love and for love, and nothing can separate us from the love of God except for sin, for that choice of turning away from Him. And so, you know, the Lord is drawing us to Himself for a special purpose, and that is to accomplish the mission of Jesus, which is the salvation of souls. Like, this world is not all that there is. God has something so profound for us in eternity in His kingdom. Jesus says, you know, I'm going to prepare prepare a place for you in my Father's house. Wow, that's incredible. And don't we want to be there? And if we really want to be there, then we choose right now to begin to live as if we were already there. And that's what Teresa of Avila meant when she said, all the way to heaven can be heaven. And the closest we get to heaven on earth is at the Mass when we experience uh, the Paschal Mystery and we receive Jesus in Holy Communion. So there's just so much treasure for us, and I think we need to ask the Lord to help us to cast our gaze upon Him in the Eucharist and not be so distracted by the difficulties of life, because as much as we have hardships and crosses and challenges and the world is really, you know, not in the best shape ever, but Jesus is still with us, and Jesus really is our all in all. And we need his help to believe that so we can live from that truth. That's so beautiful. And and it's so true. And it's it's just, you know, for each one of us, we, we're always called to just keep growing and growing in that holiness and that love of the Eucharist. And um, sister, you know, for you, like how has the Eucharist really changed your life or, or strengthened you through difficult times? Mm, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm so blessed um, in my religious life that a major part of our apostolic, our missionary work is among the poor, the materially poor, you know, and I've really thought about this a lot because, um, you know, I've been asked to give talks on the Eucharist and the poor and, and how do we, how do we kind of think about the missionary dimension of the Eucharist? We call it, um, rather one of the titles of the Eucharist is the sacrament of charity. And, and as I've reflected and prayed about it, you know, what I've come to realize is that 
in order for us to live the sacrament of charity, we have to recognize our own poverty first. Um, you know, there's a really beautiful undated writing of St. Francis of Assisi called The Admonitions, and, and a way that we understand it in the Franciscan family is that it's really St. Francis's exegesis, his like explication of the great commandment, the greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and St. Francis says that <laughs> that it's the Spirit of the Lord within us that receives Jesus in the Eucharist into us. Like, without God, we can't even receive God. <laughs> That's how much we need God. And so when I think about who the Eucharist is for me and, and what Jesus has done for me through through his presence in the Holy Eucharist, I have to, to think and reflect first on my own poverty, you know, that when I look in the mirror every morning, I see a poor person, not an abject person, not a destitute person, but a poor person. And I have to know that I am poor in order to receive anything, um, especially anything from the Lord. But that poverty is not a deficit. It's actually an asset. Because if I know that I'm poor, then that means that I'm going to be receptive to being filled. And, and I trust, I want to trust more and more that Jesus knows what I need. Because sometimes we don't even know what we need. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of the times we don't know what we need. We know we need something, but we can't put our finger on it. And Jesus wants to provide for our needs. Um, but if I, if I can't admit that I'm poor, and if I, I struggle to be open, to be receptive, then that relationship, it's not going to grow. And so I think that spiritual poverty is, is a huge gift. Jesus himself chose a poor life in this world. And so we don't have to be afraid of our poverty, whether it's material or spiritual poverty. Certainly the Lord doesn't want us to be lacking in basic needs, but he wants us to bring our poverty to him. Um, and I think it's a great gift, and it's something we, we really should uh, take stock of. Sister, I have to ask, of all the religious orders, you know, there's so many, you chose the Franciscans of the Eucharist. So why did you choose this order? What drew you to this order? Well, I mean, I sincerely believe it was an invitation from the Lord. You know, a lot of people don't realize, and there's many religious communities that have the title of the Eucharist or one of the titles of the Eucharist in their name. But, you know, our community is a newer religious community in the Archdiocese of Chicago. We were founded 13 years ago here in the Archdiocese. Um, but many people don't realize that St. Francis of Assisi was a profoundly Eucharistic saint. All the saints were, but, you know, often we associate St. Francis with uh, love for creation and the goodness of, of God's great earth and the animals and the plants and the people. Um, but the only reason why St. Francis could love and see the good of creation is because he was a man that was completely captured uh, by the mystery of the Incarnation, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And in our Franciscan spirituality, there's three moments that we really look at when we reflect on the Incarnation. Christ in the crest, crush, Christ in the crash, so the infant Jesus, and the manger, Christ on the cross, pouring himself out for us, and Christ in the Eucharist remains with us always until the end of time, which we'll hear, um, we hear in the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And so, you know, St. Francis knew Jesus Christ, and because he knew Christ, he was able to make a gift of himself to the world through preaching the gospel and serving the poor. And so it's very attractive. Um, I think all young people, all people really are drawn to noble ideals. And there's no greater and more noble ideal than the ideal of the gospel and the standard of Christ. Um, you know, and, and Jesus is demanding. He says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. 
But listen to that phrase, take up your cross and follow me. Like, we're not alone in that. Um, and Jesus doesn't ask us to carry anything that we can't bear, and he is with us. So, yeah, I think that um, I think that there's so much more to following Jesus than we realize, and it's a great adventure. It's a hard adventure, but it's a great adventure. And we find a deep peace and a deep joy when we surrender to the plan of the Lord for our lives. Thank you, sister. That's so beautiful. And, you know, so much of what you're saying, you, you write about this in the newsletter for the for the National Eucharistic Revival, and um, just a lot of beautiful things come out on a regular basis um, from you with thoughts like this. So how can people access that? How can they um, get a hold of that? Oh, yeah. So we have this fantastic weekly um, newsletter called Heart of the Revival, and you can subscribe for free today. You can go to eucharisticrevival.org slash newsletter. That'll take you right to the subscription page. Um, and we are blessed by incredibly talented writers from all over the country that contribute content that helps us to not only grow in our faith from an understanding perspective, but also to be inspired. So a lot of our content is evangelizing content, testimonies from men and women, um, young and old, who are just like us, who have had an experience of Jesus or who desired to have an experience of Jesus and had it and that that changed their lives. And so it's been a real humbling experience for me to serve as managing editor of this newsletter. And we have a lot of things in the works for this coming year leading up to Eucharistic Congress. So I'm really excited um, to start to release um, new content and um, creative projects that we've been working on and preparing for people. Um, and my, my great hope, you know, for every single one of us is that not just in this coming year, but even every day, that we take one step closer to the Lord Jesus. Um, and, and the best way to do that as Catholics is, is to open our hearts uh, to the treasure of the Holy Eucharist. Jesus is present to us at the Mass in four ways, in the Scriptures, in the priest who celebrates, in the Assembly, and most especially His sacramental presence in the Eucharist. So there's so much treasure there for us, and Jesus wants to reveal that treasure to us. Um, and we just have to ask Him to help us open our hearts. Well, thank you so much, Sister Alicia, for joining us. Would you mind closing us in prayer today? Oh, for sure. Thank you so much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to share this time together as your sons and daughters. We ask you to help us to deepen in our relationship with your beloved Son, Jesus, who remains with us always in a most special way in the Holy Eucharist. Help us to be living temples of your Spirit and to... Be open to the healing and the conversion you want for us so that we can be more free to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive and that heaven is waiting for us. We make this prayer in his holy name. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Alicia, for joining us, and God bless you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Well, we thank you today for joining us on Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, visit ColumbusCatholicWomen.com. And to hear more about Proclaim Columbus, visit ProclaimColumbus.com. Thank you, Sister Alicia, for joining us, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proclaim Columbus podcast. And until next time, go and proclaim God's glory.